Let's pray together. Father, how, how hard right now, how hard it is to see the church building empty when we have so much to celebrate. How hard it is to see the church empty. But oh God, I pray that what you would do would be like the first Easter when the disciples were huddled in homes, when they were giving way to fear and despair. On that day, on that morning, our living hope rose and walked out of that grave. So I pray this morning that you, O oh God, would shine forth that in your might and in your majesty and in your greatness, you would show up in living rooms. Doesn't matter if doors are locked. Doesn't matter even if there is fear there, despair there. You're able to walk in, show us your wounds and say, peace, peace, my peace, I give you, oh God, in the midst of this pandemic, in the midst of isolation, bring us your presence and your peace. In Jesus' name, amen. COVID-19 is easy to see. The whole world is watching, and there are many ways to watch, many ways to track how many people have been infected? How many people have died? How many hospital beds are available? How many are needed? You can compare the curve in Italy and South Korea. And no one knows exactly where it will end, how it will stop, how long it will last. We look and look and look. But maybe the problem is we're looking too much. Maybe we're being fooled, I'm not saying that we shouldn't take a pandemic seriously, but maybe we're being fooled into thinking it is the only way to die. C.S. Lewis said this, something was happening like it in World War II with the dropping of the atomic bomb. How are we to live in an, in an atomic age? He said, I am tempted to reply, why, as you would have lived in the 16th century, when the plague visited London almost every year, or as you would have lived in the Viking Age when raiders from Scandinavia might land and cut your throat any night, or indeed as you are already living in an age of cancer, in an age of syphilis, in an age of paralysis, an age of air raids, an age of railway accidents. He goes on to say, that you and everyone that you love were already under a death sentence long before any atomic bomb was invented. It only brought another way to die in this fallen world. Death is not just a chance. It is a certainty. And though we're, there are thousands of ways to die, there is only one way to be saved. And in this life, in this 
pandemic, in the midst of all of this brokenness and fallenness, we can confess that, that microbes, we can confess that viruses, we can confess that car accidents and plane crashes and different types of cancer, yes, they can destroy our bodies, but they ought not to dominate our mind as if we are simply staring at the problem and forgetting about our risen hope. There was a, one of the most far-reaching studies ever done on cancer, an atheist, several hundred pages looking at cancer and looking and looking and looking. And in a very detailed way, he, he, the conclusion was, I don't think we'll ever find a cure for cancer, he said, because it just keeps moving, just keeps morphing. And then this atheist said, it's almost as if our bodies have a death sentence. You don't need to read hundreds of pages of technical detail to see that. You just have to read the first few chapters of the Bible to know that we are under a death sentence. And everybody in our day, it seems easy not just to see COVID-19, but to then question the goodness of God. How could a good God allow such a pandemic? And I want to turn the question. Why is it that there is pandemic, disease, virus, cancer, paralysis, abuse. Why are all of these things here? It's not because of the evil of God, but the evil of man. Why would it be hard to believe in the goodness of God and not hear the evil of man? But where you see the goodness and the greatness of God come together is in his defeat of the grave. And that is where we are to look this Easter Sunday, that there is, in our day, proof positive beyond measure that our world is broken, that the whole world is sick, that the whole world is in bondage to corruption. But one day, it will be set free from its bondage to corruption and enjoy the freedom of the glory of the children of God. And that is where we are called to look because this morning, though church services have been canceled, assemblies aren't happening, COVID-19 has not canceled the heavenly assembly, has not stopped them from gathering to worship the Lamb. There is no social distancing there. They are gathered together to worship the Lamb who was slain, who conquered the grave. And that's what we are here to do and see in our text. Revelation 7, verses 15 to 17, two movements I want you to see. We have here a hope sandwich. Right in the middle, in verse 16, we are introduced in the midst of our broken, fallen world into another world a world that we are told about here, the place, and that hope sandwich is a sandwich because it's sandwiched in between the presence of God. 
which defines the place. Why is it that this place is here and there's no more danger you're going to see this presence of God sandwich? So begin at verse 16. Let's look at this place. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. So where does this picture come from, you ask? Well, yes, Isaiah definitely has something to say about it. In Isaiah 49, we have the picture given of the servant of the Lord, and God says, it is too small of a thing that I would give you to redeem only the tribes of Israel, but all of the nations I will bring, I will redeem. And when he redeems them, what does he do? He becomes their shepherd. Isaiah 49, verse 8, thus says the Lord, in a time of favor I've answered you, in a day of salvation I've helped you, I will keep you. I will give you as a covenant to the people to establish the land, apportion the desolate heritages, saying to the prisoners, come out. To those who are in darkness, appear. They shall feed along the way. On all the bare heights shall be their pasture. They shall not hunger or thirst, neither scorching wind nor sun shall strike them. Why? For he has compassion on them. He who has compassion on them will lead them and by springs of water will guide them. The shepherd's care for his flock is so great that they will neither hunger nor thirst nor have the sun strike them. That would have special meaning in an ancient land where those were the three perennial dangers. And while we are part of this fallen world, and while we have bodies that are wasting away, we are vulnerable to everything. How many ways are there to die? This is not saying that heaven is a place that's only removed three dangers. It's saying it is a place where all danger of death has been eliminated. Why? Why does all danger and pain and trial and heartache and tears have an expiration date? Here's the hope sandwich. It is the presence of God. Look at verse 15. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. Yes, heaven is a place, but it is defined by a person. The presence of God makes heaven, heaven. And if you want to ask the question, why is it that all danger of death will be removed? Answer, because our Father will become our shelter. He is the shelter of this place called heaven. And and what an irony that in our day, where we have a shelter-in-place kind of ordinance, that's not good news to be only sequestered by ourselves and to have isolation 
But here, it's the best news possible because there's no isolation or social distancing. Our Father is our shelter, and we love to be sheltered in place here. It is the very hope of the Christian faith that God is our refuge and strength and shelter and joy. Listen to the psalmist in Psalm 43, praying, send out your light, send out your truth, let them lead me, bring me to your holy hill, to your dwelling, then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy. And this is no impersonal structure, this shelter. It is a father, a father who tenderly wipes away every tear so that they are no more. Every danger of death, anything that we could be vulnerable against, pain, heartache, and tears, all gone because our Father is our shelter. But not only that, we have in this presence of God sandwich, no more danger of death because our Father is our shelter and the Son is our shepherd. Verse 16, they shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For, for the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. So this is the great point of our passage. Why will there be no more danger or death or tears or pain or pandemic? Because our Father will be our shelter and the Son will be our shepherd. The question is, this is the great question, how? do we get here? How do we have this? How does our Father become our shelter? How does the Savior become our shepherd? How do we come to this place where there's no more danger of death? We get two clues in our text. Number one comes in verse 17, for the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. Question, why say the lamb will be their shepherd. Isn't he mixing metaphors here? How can he be both lamb and shepherd? Is he changing the metaphor on us? No way. This is a profound testimony that Jesus, who is the everlasting Son of God, never came into existence, that he because the children shared in flesh and blood that he came to save, he had to take on flesh and blood. This is a testimony to the incarnation. In order to be the shepherd of the sheep, to save the sheep, he had to take on our sheepness so that he could become the lamb, so that he could become the lamb. Now, this means that this lamb in the incarnation 
to be the lamb that is to become the sacrificial lamb, he had to be an unblemished lamb. Have you ever stopped to marvel that Jesus never sinned, never had any blemish? In order to be the sacrificial lamb, he had to be the unblemished lamb. Jesus resisted temptation. He never sinned. I meditated on this yesterday. I thought about all the sins that Jesus never committed. Just walking through A through Z to marvel. Jesus resisted temptation. He never gave in to apathy, sinful anxiety, anger, arrogance, bitterness, bigotry, cowardness, covetousness, never had deceit or doubts or disobedience, no envy or error, foolishness or faithlessness, never had greed, gossip, never had guile, never had hypocrisy, was never irreverent or insolent, never jealous, never kicked people when they were down, never lust or lied or was a lover of money, never had malice, was never nominal, was never overcome by evil. He never was prayerless or pugnacious. He never quarreled. He wasn't racist, ruthless, reckless, had no self pity or sinful pride. He never turned against God or his followers, never failed to treasure God, to trust God, never had unbelief or unrighteousness. He was never unholy, never ungrateful, never vain and vexed, never wasteful or consumed with worry. I got to X and I thought, what sin can you say with X? I had to look it up on source.com. Came to this word xenophobic, prejudiced against strangers, hating strangers, and it landed on me. We were strangers to his mercy, strangers to the promises, and far from hating us, he loved us. He never yawned once at the glory of God, never had zeal without knowledge. He resisted all of these things for all of the times that we didn't. Where are you going to look this morning? Look to yourself. There's no hope there. Look to the one who is unblemished, who never gave in to temptation, never sinned so that he, the blameless lamb, could become the sacrificial lamb. And that's the second clue that comes in verse 15. How do these people in this picture come into the presence of the Father? Come into this place. You see it at the therefore, at the beginning of verse 15. Therefore, So let's go back. Why are they there for? Revelation 7, 9. After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, 
from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God saying, amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever, amen. Then one of the elders addressed me saying, who are these? clothed in white robes, and from where have they come? I said to him, sir, you know. And he said to me, these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. Why are they there? the blood of the Lamb. Why is there no evil there? Why is there no sin there? Why is there no danger of death there? It is because at the cross, the unblemished Lamb became the sacrificial Lamb and everything that is evil came against everything that is good at that cross. And at the cross, Light and darkness collided, the holy and the unholy, the pure and the impure, justice and injustice, love and hate. And what is the resurrection? The resurrection is the moment where there is the declaration, love has defeated hate. The pure has triumphed over the impure. Justice has vanquished injustice. There is nothing more that is going to be unclean, impure here in this place because the Lamb has overcome. He rose. He is risen indeed. Yes, it's hard. It's hard right now to look at this camera and not look at people in the pews. The fact that the church building is empty is hard. The fact that the tomb is empty is our hope. The fact right now that so many events can be canceled or postponed reminds us that Easter can't be canceled, that death has not just been postponed or canceled, but it has been swallowed up in victory. This morning, I invite you, I invite you to look to Jesus, to celebrate his victory to look away from yourself, to look away from the world and all of the thousands of ways that you could die, all the millions of things that could go wrong in a fallen world, stare now at the serpent-crushing, death-defeating, heaven-opening, wrath-removing, sin-forgiving, debt paying, whiter than snow, washing you work of Jesus. Look there and live. Thousands of ways to die. Only one way to live 
forever. Look to the lamb who was slain and the lion who roared over death in victory. Christ is risen indeed. Oh, here's our hope. Our hope right now is that you can look to Jesus and be saved. Look to Jesus and find the only source of lasting hope. Look to Jesus and one day join that assembly that can never be canceled, that can never be distanced. Join that assembly in heaven where there can be no more pain, no more tears, no more trials, no more danger of death because our Father will be our shelter and our Savior will be our shepherd. He arose. He won the victory. How, right now, can you be saved? How, right now, can you have a hope that could never be buried? I want to ask that question and answer it by telling you the story of how one of the most famous preachers, C.H. Spurgeon, became saved. He was a unique person. He said that while he was preaching, he could count as many as eight different thoughts at once. Sometimes I can't count one clear thought, let alone eight. And he was looking for a way to be saved, and he thought, I I've got hundreds of things to do that I gotta do. Here's how he became saved. Quote, I sometimes think I might have been in darkness and despair until now had it not been for the goodness of God in sending a snowstorm one Sunday morning while I was going to a certain place of worship. I turned down a side street. I came to a little primitive Methodist church in that chapel, there may have been a dozen people, 15 people. I had heard of the primitive Methodists, how they sang so loudly they made people's heads ache, but that didn't matter to me. I wanted to know how I might be saved. The minister didn't come that morning. He was snowed up, I suppose. At last, a very thin-looking man, a shoemaker or tailor or something of that sort, got up into the pulpit to preach. It is well preachers would be instructed, but this man was really stupid. He was obliged to stick to his text for the simple reason that he had little else to say. The text was Isaiah 45, verse 22. Look to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth. He didn't even pronounce the words rightly, but that didn't matter. There it was, I thought, a glimmer of hope for me in that text. So the preacher began. This is a very simple text indeed. It says, look. Now looking don't take a deal of pain. It ain't lifting your foot or your finger. It's just look. Now a man needn't go to college to learn to look. You can be the biggest fool, yet you can look. Anyone can look. Even a child can look. But the text says, look to me. I, he said in broad Essex, many on ye are looking to yourselves, but it's no use looking there. 
You'll never find any comfort in yourselves. No, look to Christ. The text says, look to me. Then the good man followed up his text in this way. Look to me. I'm sweating great drops of blood. Look to me. I'm hanging on that cross. Look to me. I am dead and buried. Look to me. I rise again. Look to me. I ascend to heaven. Look to me. I'm sitting at the Father's right hand. Oh, poor sinner. Look to me and live. And when he had managed to spin out ten minutes or so, he was at the end of his tether. And then suddenly he looked at me. And I dare say with so few present he knew me to be a stranger. Just fixing his eyes on me as if he knew all my heart, he said, young man, you look very miserable. Well, I did. But I'd never been used to having remarks made from the pulpit about my personal appearance before. However, it was a good blow and it struck right home. He continued, you will always be miserable, miserable in life, miserable in death, if you don't obey my text. But if you obey it now, this moment, you will be saved. Then lifting up his hands, he shouted, as only a primitive Methodist could do, young man, look to Jesus Christ. Look, look, look. You have nothing to do but look and live. And then I saw it. I saw at once the way of salvation. I don't know what else he said. I was so possessed with that one thought. I had been waiting to do 50 things. But when I heard that word, look, oh, what a charming word it was to me. Oh, I looked. I looked until I could almost have looked my eyes away. There and then, the cloud was gone. The darkness rolled away. I saw the sun. I could have risen in that instant and sung with the most enthusiastic of the primitive Methodists of the precious blood of Christ and the simple faith which looks alone to him that happy day when I found the Savior and learned to cling to him was a day never to be forgotten by me. I testify that the joy of that day was indescribable. I could have leaped, I could have danced. There was no expression, however fanatical, which would have been out of keeping with the joy of that hour. I thought I could have sprung from the seat in which I sat and called out, with the wildest of those brethren, I am forgiven, I am forgiven, a monument of grace, a sinner saved by blood. I can't see you right now. The good news is not many other people can see you right now. You can leap, whether you're in your jammies, on your couch, you can leap, you can dance, when you looked him and you realized that your hope 
can't be canceled. You realize that in order for you to lose hope, Jesus would have to be sucked out of heaven from the right hand of God and go back into that tomb, and that ain't happening. Look to Jesus and live. If you're not a believer and you're listening in and you're thinking, I gotta do 50 different things to be saved. No, look to him and be saved. and Be sheltered by the Father's presence. Have the Savior become your shepherd and forevermore hope in him. And let us in this day look to him and never look away until all our tears are wiped away. Let's pray. Oh, Father, it isn't hard, not hard in our day to say, do you feel the world is broken? We do. Do you feel the shadows deepen? Oh, we do. But do you know that all the dark can't stop the light from getting through? We do. It is good to remind ourselves of this. It is good to look to the Lamb who was slain, to the Lion of the tribe of Judah, that has defeated death and roars our victory. Is he worthy? Is he worthy of all blessing and honor and glory? Let us look and sing. He is. In Jesus' name, amen.